Well, we're nearing the end of our study in the book of James. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. There's a lot of good stuff in here. We're in chapter 5 today, if you wanted to turn there in your Bible. And uh, we've been under this theme, Get Out There. That's a handbook for an active faith. And uh, James has a couple more gems to give us today. Last week, we were talking in the first few chapters of chapter 5, first few verses of chapter 5. Those are some uh, pretty sharp uh, verses. He's talking to the rich, unrighteous people who are abusing poor people who are righteous. And he instructs the rich abusers to, quote, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And so we sifted through that to glean the warnings. Don't hoard, save appropriately, and don't steal, share. And don't waste, make a budget and live by your budget. And don't use your power to abuse others. Be generous. And so then today now he's talking to uh, the people who have been abused by those, those who have been wronged, and those who've suffered at the hands of others. And his big question really is, how should a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ respond when you've been wronged or when things aren't going your way? And his answer, be patient. Be patient. Look at verse 7. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Be patient, therefore. Anytime you run into therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for. And if you go back and look before that, uh, you're going to see that he's agreeing with these people. You have suffered unfairly at the hands of others. So he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord, that Jesus is going to return, that we will see Jesus face to face. It's the great hope and the blessed hope of the church of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is going to return someday bodily to the earth, that uh, people are going to see him. Now, many of the people of, in James' original audience had actually heard Jesus preach when he was on earth. They had seen him. They had been around him. They, they knew what he looked like. Jesus is going to return. And when he does, he's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will be in charge. He will be the judge who's wisely setting all things right. James tells these um, abused people, wait patiently for the coming of the Lord. So think about the farmer. You can't rush it. It's all about timing. That the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until he receives the, the early rain and the late rain. Early rains happen in October, November, and then the farmer gets the seed into the ground and does his planting. And the later rains arrive in April or May, and without it, the crops won't fully flourish and mature. And of course, in their day, they didn't have a whole lot of irrigation uh, and uh, ability to water the way we do. But the farmer had to wait. He's actively waiting. He's tilling, he's weeding, he's working in his barn, he's debugging um, his uh, crops, there's uh, equipment to repair, uh, there's barn raisings, there's anything else that farmers do while they wait patiently. They're not just sitting around at Molly's having coffee and breakfast, you know. And, um, they, but they can't rush the crops. Have you ever tried to eat a peach that wasn't ready to be eaten or an avocado that uh, wasn't ripe or a strawberry that isn't ready yet or a green tomato or a green banana? It doesn't work. You can't rush it. In fact, the Bible says he has, God has made everything beautiful in its time. It's timing. Be patient like the farmer. Then in verse 2, he says something very similar. He says, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says, choose patience as your approach, as you're going into situations to just choose. I'm going to choose to be patient. They're not going to do everything right. They're not going to do it the way I would do it. Be patient. 
famous coach John Wooden said, when we are out of sympathy with the young, our work in this world is over. When we're out of sympathy with the young, our work in this world is over. James says, establish your hearts, which means make up your mind in advance to establish in your heart. Here's how I'm going to be. Here's how I'm going to respond, regardless what comes my way. So I don't know if you've ever built a house, but at some point you, you go to the lot, you're going to build a house there, you look it over and you decide, here's where the front door will go. Here's where the garage will go. The house will be kind of like this. Here's where the, the kitchen is going to go. Here's the kind of view that you'll have from the kitchen. So here's where we'll put the windows. And based on what you established in your heart, you go talk to the architect and you get it on the plan and then you build it. And later you look out the window and you wish, you know, I wish that window was three feet this way. It's too late. You established it in your heart. That's how you got started. He says, start that way. Establish in your hearts that you're going to be patient because the coming of the Lord is at hand. This coming of the Lord was a big question. When? When is he coming back? It's Jesus. We want to see him. When is he going to be here? And the answer is soon. Jesus is coming soon. It talks about this in Acts chapter 1, right after the book of Acts gets started, which is the story of the early disciples becoming the church of Jesus Christ that within 30 years was global. It says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, Quote, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now that was their agenda. They were sure that Jesus was the Messiah, so he was going to become the king. So they would be then in his court and they would become famous and important. And he, it's not Jesus' plan, it was their plan. And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The coming of the Lord. When is he going to return? I mean, I would get the, these disciples and the people who saw this happen and heard this promise. He's coming back the same way you saw him go. We spent a lot of time, every time they went outside, they're kind of, you know, where is he here? Is he coming? Can you see him? They're watching for him. He's supposed to be back soon. He's returning soon. I mean, how do you wait patiently? If you, it's been determined that you have to wait for something, how long do you think that wait will be? It's kind of important to know, isn't it? So if you were waiting for a connecting flight, you're not at home, but you're not where you're going to be, and all of a sudden it comes over, oh, there's going to be a delay. You go up to the counter, how long is the delay? Well, it's going to be three hours. You say, well, hmm, where, what's our favorite restaurant in this airport? Let's go eat, and then we'll come back. 
If they told you, well, it'll be 30 hours, you're going to say, hmm, where should we stay overnight tonight? The airport really isn't very comfortable for sleeping. Why don't we go sleep somewhere and then we'll come back? If they said, well, it's going to be 30 days, you're going to say, wait a minute, is there any way to get there any sooner? I've got, I've got a life. I've got some stuff i got to get done. But who do we know who lives here if we can't leave? And uh, as this experience drags on, who can we share our misery with? And uh, who needs to know that we're not going to be arriving anytime soon? If they said to you, well, it'll be 30 months, you'd say, oh my goodness, that, that's a huge change. Where's my luggage? I've got to have a change of clothes. And how do we make ends meet for 30 months? And what do we do with all this uncharted interim time? If they said, well, it'll be 30 years, you'd say, wow, we have lots of time. Life would never be the same. We're not in a hurry. Can you see why Jesus didn't tell you how long it's going to be? I mean, Jesus is coming soon. He intentionally left his followers with the belief he is returning soon. Work now. Get your work done. You don't know how long you have. They're not expecting it to take 2,000 years. Now, God doesn't measure time the way we do. I know that. But if God had revealed his whole plan, people would have taken the wrong attitude and the wrong stance and the wrong approach, don't you think? They would have thought, we got plenty of time to do God's work. We'll start with what's fun. We'll get around to what we want to do. And instead of, Jesus wants us on full alert. He's returning soon. Put all your decision-making through that perspective. There needs to be an urgency. We've got to finish his work. We need to do his work first because we don't know how long we have. He's coming soon. There isn't time to get worried about setbacks or losses or take revenge or take matters into our own hands. Jesus is coming soon. Stay focused on the goal. Stay focused on the prize. We must hurry to get the good news of Jesus to every tribe every nation, un, every unengaged people group because the, Jesus is coming soon and people need to know before it's eternally too late. There's an urgency to it. Hurry. He's coming soon. He has intentionally not told us when. So we would be working. We would be vigilant. We would stay positive and eager to complete the work that he's given us to do. We're this close. We've kind of had that stance all the way through as we've gotten ready to move into the project we're in, aren't we? When I started in 1998 as pastor at South Shores, um, uh, the search committee, um, which I wasn't even lost, but there was a search committee, and, and, and the deacons at the time were, were talking, that, and there were plenty of comments that came up about the facilities and what we would need to do about the facilities, and we, so we put a team looking at it, but it got people kind of anxious because there was still a million dollars of indebtedness on the current sanctuary, the new sanctuary. And I said, well, but we can be doing our planning and we can know what we need to do while we're paying that down. Well, then in 2003, as a gift of God, somebody stepped forward and said, I'll match every dollar given for debt retirement. And in three months, the church retired the debt. And we were off and running. But after five years of planning and studying it in 2004, we made a submittal to the city uh, with what our plan, and we didn't even have any variances. That's supposed to be good. There were no exceptions. It should just be smooth sailing. And I'm coming to you saying, it's going to be soon. It's going to be soon. And um, I fully expected they would say yes, and we'd get after the project. In fact, recently came across a piece of paper where I had a calendar of events and everything was going to be built and completed by 2006. <laughs> I just wish it was a joke. Not so fast. City sent it back to us and said, you know, there's a few other things that you need to do. And so we urgently did our homework and we resubmitted it in December of 2004. And I shared the progress with the church's enthusiasm. We're this close. We're this close. It's in the city. Pretty soon they're going to say, yes, we're going to move forward. Not so fast. I can remember the city manager in May of 2007, three years later, saying, 
to his staff in our hearing. These poor people have suffered enough. Get their plan off the dime and moving forward so it can be approved. He retired last year. <laughs> We're this close. Then we got delayed. Then the economy tanked, and we kept pressing forward. Remember in 2010, somebody offered us a million-dollar match, and by the grace of God, we matched it in 2010. We're this close. We're getting better. We were, we were collecting the funds. Then we were turned down by the city, and we were delayed, and we were told we had to do an environmental impact report. That's a huge second study, and, and it took until 2015, and we finally heard the 5-0 approval vote of the Planning Commission, and then it was challenged by the neighbors. And then we got the 5-0 approval from the city council in June of 2015. Soon, it'll be soon. I've been telling you, every time I believe I've been telling you the truth. And then we learned the prices. It took our breath away. It took the air out of the room. So we said, let's do this in phases. Let's do phase one, which is big a bite as we thought we could, we could take. And it's taken us two years to get to this point. At every point, to the best of my knowledge, I've been telling you the truth. We're this close it's soon. Jesus wants us in that stance of being fully alert to say, what does he want done? It's soon. He's going to return. We've got work we need to get done. Let's stay after it. And James has been telling his people this. We've been doing it. I've, I'm so proud of you, South Shores, because we've taken this stance. We've, we've taken this approach. We, you've been patient in hardship. And when it isn't fair, you've been patient. And when things don't go in a straight line, it's, you've been patient. And we need to continue to do that. And that's what James is saying in this passage. Stay focused on Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our leader. We will see Jesus very soon. Will we have finished the work that he's given us to do? My prayer is yes. In verse 9, James continues in the same theme. You know his main point? Be patient. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James says, yes, you were kicked around by the wicked rich, but don't take it out on each other. There isn't time to get impatient with fellow Christians. Jesus is coming soon. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, this do not grumble against one another is one of James's major themes. He comes up over and over. He said this before. And James says when we grumble, we're placing ourselves in the place of being the judge, which is God's job. And we've abandoned our Christian commitment to live by the law of love, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So often this kind of talk, grumbling, is happening between people but not with the right people. It's happening behind somebody's back, and it's conversation that doesn't include the person who can actually do something about it. So it's not profitable. And it hurts somebody. And God can hear it. And it's very irritating to God when His people talk that kind of talk. In fact, the children of Israel, who God rescued out of slavery in Egypt, and He brought them out into the wilderness and set them free to walk across the desert to the promised land, should have taken them about a week. Okay, they stopped for 40 days at Mount Sinai to get the law. So it should have taken about a week and 40 days. God led them every step of the way through their capable leader, Moses, the one that God chose. And instead of thanking God for his provision and his protection and his guidance and his goodness, they grumbled. There's nothing to eat. There are no cucumbers out here. Man, we had those in Egypt. And we had garlic and leeks. And uh, out here all we get is this manna, manna, manna. 
God said, we don't ever get any meat. God said, I'll give you meat. I'll give you so much it'll come out your nose. And he buries them in quail because he's kind of frustrated with them. And then they're complaining about that. And they complain and they complain. And they, they can't see God and they don't realize God can hear them. He can see them. God wants them to get over it and to just trust Him and to endure some hardship as God's people. And God is willing to wait for them to choose the right attitude and get their heart and their head in the right place and to move forward doing God's work. And He's waiting for them to respond with the right attitude and to respond appropriately to faith and appreciation for His many, many, many blessings. And He waited a month and a year and a decade and two and three and four. He waited 40 years. In fact, he was willing to wait beyond the end of their lifetime, and he gave all of their blessings to the next generation because they never quit complaining. I don't want that to be us, do you? I don't want that to be them. Let's learn from their lesson to say, wait a minute, how do we stay in the moment? How do we keep doing God's work? How do we endure hardship as, as uh, good followers of Jesus Christ? James says, see Jesus. He's standing in the doorway it's like a teacher who's gone out for a smoke and now is coming back to see how class is. I had a teacher who did that, okay? So, uh, you know, they would, uh, would leave class and then come back. And it says Jesus is, it's like the teacher standing in a doorway and he can see his class. He can hear his class. He can assess how is the class doing in my absence? Were they responsible? Did they do their work? Or, or were they cutting up and goofing off and wasting their moment? He's standing in the door. And when you stand outside a door, you might not be able to see everything, but you can hear what's going on inside. And in Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, I, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let's win. Let's conquer like Jesus talks about. Let's fulfill what he's got for us, South Shores. Let's be patient. Let's be working. Let's anticipate the day we see Jesus face to face. It's this close. Next point he makes in verse 10 is be patient. He said, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever done a study of the prophets. If you've been in... Uh, Sunday King Sunday School class, you've studied the prophets um, because they've worked their way all the way through most of the Bible. But the prophets are in the Old Testament, and they were the people that God raised up, some of them as very small children, raised them up and put them on a life track uh, that they really didn't fit in with everybody else. And they would have the audacity to walk into the presence of the king and say, here's what God wants to tell you. And then they would run like crazy and hide. Because it wasn't, it's, it's not fortune telling and it wasn't future telling, although they did some of that. But their main job was to say, here is the word of the Lord. And often it was a stern rebuke and it was often not well received. And there was a strong possibility that the powerful ones who were supposed to hear that word would not respond well to it and they would abuse the messenger or kill the messenger because they didn't like the message. So God says to an Elijah, go tell King Ahab and his wicked queen Jezebel, who's brought all kinds of evil and idol worship here in, into the land of Israel, because of your sin, it's not going to rain. He goes in and says, because of your sin, it's not going to rain. Pew! And he runs and he hides and he's out by a brook and he has some water, but pretty soon it dries up. And then God's using the birds, the ravens to feed him. And this goes on for uh, six months and a year and two years and three years and three and a half years. And by then, everybody is bone dry and starving 
And he says, go show yourself to King Ahab. Elijah goes, are you nuts? I'll get killed. He says, no, I'll take care of you. And, and uh, so he, he goes to, to King Ahab, and they have a showdown, and God wins. Or you look at Isaiah. Of course, then he went on out and had a post-adrenaline stress disorder a problem that you can read about in 1 Kings 18, 19, and 20. And uh, God said, go anoint your replacement, Elisha. Isaiah comes along. He has this huge crisis right off the bat. It's in chapter 6. He goes to the temple, and uh, he sees the Lord. And there, uh, the, all kinds of beings are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I've lived among a people of unclean lips. And I've seen the king. I'm going to die. And uh, God has one of his messengers bring over a hot coal and touch Isaiah's lips. Now they're clean. Now go say my words. And with his blistered lips, he sent him out to say, okay, here's the message you're going to go tell them. They've got ears, but they're not going to hear. They've got eyes, but they're not going to see. They've got a heart, but it's hard. Now you go tell them because they're going to reject you. But it's my message. Go give it to them. How would you like that job? Jeremiah was very similar. God said, you're not just a boy. You go tell them what I'm going to tell you. And Jeremiah's called the weeping prophet. Turn, he goes, turn. Turn back to God. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. They never did. Forty years. Turn. And they never did. Or Daniel, taken into captivity as a young man, living in captivity 70 years, pretty much as a solo believer, a lot of the time, on his knees, morning, noon, and night, before God, standing tall and true, you know, he didn't have the blessing of, of a congregation of people who all love the Lord and are trying to do the Lord's work like we do. Or Jonah. God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I got a job for you. I want you to go to Nineveh, your enemies, and preach to them. Tell them to repent or they will perish and be punished. Jonah goes, God, I hate those people. I want you to punish them. I want you to, to, to nuke them. I'm not going. And he goes the wrong direction. And God gets him in a, into a storm and uh, overboard and swallowed by a great fish. He says, Jonah, take a three-day time out. Just sit there on a bench in the whale's, in the whale's belly. And uh, finally, Jonah God decides, you know, I'd much rather go to Nineveh than die here. And uh, so uh, it uh, burps him out onto the beach, and he heads to Nineveh. Can you imagine what he looked like as he arrived, saying, repent or God's going to punish you? And much to his chagrin and surprise, every Everybody started to repent, and they all begged God for forgiveness, and God forgave them. And Jonah sat up on the hill waiting to see the show. He wanted to see him be nuked, and when it didn't happen, he got mad. And God came to him and said, why are you mad? There were 120,000 people in that city who needed me. They needed to know about me. They needed to for my forgiveness, and I forgave them. Or what about Hosea? God tells Hosea, go marry such and such pretty girl. He didn't go marry her. She turns out to be a party girl that would sneak out every night and keep deserting him, go hanging out with other people. He'd have to go find her, bring her home, clean her up and say, you're mine. Let's live married. Let's be married. Be with me. And she'd say, okay. And that night after he'd fall asleep, she'd go out and do it again. And he'd wake up and he'd have to go find her. And he'd bring her back, clean her up and say, you're mine. Be with me. And she'd say, okay. And the next night she would go running off again. And finally, Hosea goes, says to God, God, why did you tell me to marry this woman? She, look at her. And God says, now you know how I feel. You've deserted me over and over and over and over. James says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Sometimes you speak the truth and you'll suffer. Speak the truth anyway. It's from God. Sometimes the people around you will be hard to love. Love them anyway. 
for the sake of Christ. The next point that James wants to make is in verse 10. It's this, be patient. He says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, patient. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, he says. Job had everything going for him. He was probably the richest guy alive when he was living. He was wealthy. He had 10 children. His businesses were prospering. He honored God in his life. And in 48 hours, everything fell apart. The wheels came off and it crashed in the ditch. Calamity struck in full force. His children were all together at the party and they were all murdered. His businesses uh, ran amok and everything got upside down in one day. And he came down with an incurable, deadly disease that was very painful. It was a very, very bad rough day. He lost his family, he lost his friends, he lost his finances, he was suffering immensely. His body, boils started to come out everywhere. He sits out there on the, on the ash pile where they put the ashes out from the fire and just used a piece of broken pottery to scrape the pus off of his sores. And his friends showed up to yak at him and uh, to tell him, you must have sinned. I mean, look at you, you're pathetic. You, repent, come on, fess up, confess something. And then his wife came out and said, curse God and die. I mean, what a blessing she was. The only he lost everything. The only thing he didn't lose was this nagging wife. And the worst part of Job's suffering is he has absolutely no idea why any of this is happening. I mean, 37 chapters in Job just goes on with his friends saying, come on, come on, repent, repent. We know you did it. We know you did it. Come on, pass up. And God doesn't speak. God doesn't say, Job, I'm so proud of you that I bragged on you to the devil. And he said, well, he wouldn't be proud of loving you, God, if you took everything away. And so I said, take everything away. He will still love me. And you're passing the test, Job. Good job. God didn't give him any of that. He said, just trust me. Just follow me. There's no apparent reason for his misfortune. He doesn't know what's going on. Of all people, Job could have said, God, why me? He didn't just tithe for himself, he tithed for his children just in case they forgot. And now all of a sudden everything caves in. Life is not fair. You know, that's a true statement still to this day. God never said it would be fair. God never said life would make sense. Maybe we'll never understand on this side of heaven. In fact, you take that question that's pressing you, that's causing you to want to distance yourself from God. Get it ready. You get to heaven and say, God, I got a question. God say, okay, what's your question? I bet you do like I do. You look him in the face and go, Never mind. <laughs> Doesn't matter. When we see Jesus, a lot of it's going to come clear. Here's what Job knew for sure God is in control. Stay patient. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You know, we notice that patience is a virtue in the lives of others and it helped him to end well. I mean, Jesus was talking on this to his followers and he said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you're going to be right with God, you're going to be at odds with the world. You can't choose both. Choose God. God is working in ways you cannot see. Maybe that life doesn't make sense today. Stay patient. Trust God. Then James makes one more point. Number six, it's in verse 12. Guess what? Be patient. Guard your speech. 
He says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is not a reference to cursing. It's not a reference to the legal practice of swearing in a witness. He's condemning the practice of supporting your own words with an oath. I promise by the gate of heaven that such and such is true. Just tell the truth. James is quoting here or paraphrasing Jesus who said something very similar, who said, your words matter, use them wisely. In Matthew 12, Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Guard your heart because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And James is trying to tell his readers, life has its challenges. You already knew that. Keep your heart in the right place. Stay focused on Jesus. Keep your heart pure. You can't control all the circumstances around you, but you can control your own heart, and God is still in control. So let me ask you in conclusion, should you ever pray for patience? That's not a trick question. I mean, we all need patience, right? And we all need to learn to wait. I mean, it's proof of trust. Patience is a gift from God. So could you ever pray for patience? Oh, you know what's coming if you say, oh, Lord, please give me patience. Right now, right now, right now, right? I mean, God's going to give you opportunities, I'm sure, to exercise those patience muscles so they get stronger. So it's not an easy prayer. And the process won't be easy. but you'll draw closer to God. Just like Micah read at the beginning from Psalm 40, I waited for the Lord. I waited patiently. And He heard my cry. He got me out of the pit. He put a new song in my mouth. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. The big question, how should a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ respond when you've been wronged or things aren't going your way? And the answer is, be patient. Let's pray. Dear God, give us your patience in great measure, even if we don't pray for it. Because we need it to represent you in this world. We need it to speak a word or to stay silent at times. We need it in terms of how we treat each other and choosing to refuse to grumble. We need it when we look at the prophets and see that dear godly people were abused because the message was not well received in this world. We need it when we see Job, who was your son of favor but didn't feel like it for quite a while. We need it if we're going to follow Jesus and be fully devoted to you. Give us patience, we pray, for the days ahead. Thank you for this place where we can gather and to praise you and to make new friends and to, to start new Bible study groups and to invite people to walk with Jesus. I pray each of us have somebody's name on our heart that we're going to invite to Easter and to invite them to hear about Jesus. I pray that each of us will be engaged in doing ministry and in helping in ways that tell the story of Jesus. I pray that we will urgently finish the work that you've given us to do because it's soon and very soon. We will see you face to face. Thank you for loving us. We love you. Amen.